This week, everybody I talk to, as you know, you see in his eyes, he's very tired, he has red eyes. And I have to sleep because people spend so much time watching the news and reading the news and tell stories and more stories of all the terrible things that happen in Israel. Everybody saw the horrible videos. And even when you finish already watch those, then you cannot fall asleep. And when you wake up, you cannot fall asleep again because it's like it's on your mind. You can see, and everybody is like, is like very tired and is like you're going like a zombie. People go like zombies. But this week we're going to read the the begin. We're starting to the Torah again. We begin the Torah again, and we read the Parshat Bereshit, the first part of the creation of the world. Then I think it's time to change direction. What do I mean with this? You see, the, 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 when God created the world, what is the first thing that God said? It wasn't like it was a creative, it was, it was, it was light, firmament. Light. God said, let there be light. And it was light, right? That's the first day that God said. And the Rebbe is asking, who needs light on the first day? Men, Adam and Eve were created on the sixth day, right? They need light. Uh, and the, the animals were created on the sixth day too. On the fifth day were created birds. Birds need light? Maybe they need light. Okay. You know who needs light? Vegetation is light, right? Plants, fruit, trees, they need light. They were created on the third day. Who needs light on the first day? Who needs light? First thing, let them be like, hey! Well, I have a few other things to take care of before the light. But the Rebbe said, God wanted to make a mission statement. Uh-huh. What is written on God's business card? Let there be light. The job of the world is to bring light. Of creation is to bring light to the world. Every person in every situation, in every place, in every time. You, our job is to take the situation and make light of it. To turn on switch and turn the lights on to show the good part of it, to, to yeah. bring light to people, to guidance, love, positivity. That's the job. And therefore, today, I want to bring some light to this horrible war in Israel. What do I mean with that? To see the positive side, there is some miracles in this story, in this, in this, in this war. And not to get more depressed and more and to give up and like people get into paranoia and they're afraid and they're giving up and everything. And we see it in the Torah alone also, this attitude. When the Torah in the book of Exodus, the Torah describes the exile and the redemption from Egypt. Then the exile is one chapter. All the Torah is in one chapter, very short. The Joseph finished. The redemption. Pages upon pages upon pages of miracles. Concentrate, because the Torah is teaching us something. Concentrate on the positive, not on the negative. Don't go on and tell me all the stories that was in the world. There's many miracles. Concentrate on the miracles. I want to share with you one miracle. So there was a woman in one of the kibbutzim by the border, the Gaza border. Her name is Avital. Mm-hmm. She was 6 in the morning, like Saturday. She woke up, she heard sirens of missiles. It was a barrage of missiles, it was like a rain. And she ran to, you know, every person is in his house, like a, like a um, bulletproof room. 
like a little uh, bum shelter, like a bum shelter. It's a part of the law in, in Israel. Every apartment must have a bum, a bum shelter, a room that you can hide in. And they, they, she runs into the bum shelter. She's sitting there and she hears, then she hears shooting and screaming in Arabic. She knows that the terrorists are running around on the streets in her kibbutz. She has a neighbor, a guy, he's also living by himself. He called her, he says, by yourself, I'll come over to be with you. Okay, both of them came together. They sat in their bum shelter from 6.30 in the morning until 1.30 in the afternoon, hearing shooting and curses and burning and bombing constantly. Mm-hmm. And they and nobody's showing up to help. No, no police, no army, nothing. By 1.30 in the afternoon happened the worst. The terrorists came into the house. They, they were hiding in a, in, a, in a closet. I don't know if the closet was in the bomb shelter, outside of the bomb shelter. They opened the closet. They shot the, the guy right away. And near they pulled out of the closet. And they, was, they, they were there with two children from a neighbor, a woman with two children. The woman is disappeared. Maybe she's hostage. Maybe she was killed. And there is a baby who is four months old. You have to hear this. And a child is four years old. And they're slapping this woman, the neighbor, Avital, with these two babies, or not your children, the children of your friend. And they're going from the house to house. Wherever they go, there is blood, there is bodies, there is smoke, there is fire. They burn cars, they burn houses, they burn everything. It was all orchestrated very well. And they're going and going. Finally, they bring her to a to a bridge in the kibbutz fence. Every kibbutz is a fence. Mm-hmm. And they take her out to this and they start to go towards Gaza. She's a prisoner of war. She's hostage. Now the kid, she's a, she's carrying the baby, the four old, the four month old baby. And 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 the and the and the other kid is carried by one of the terrorists on the shoulders. Why? Because he was injured from a piece of a from a piece of a, of a bullet. And in his leg, he cannot walk. Then mm-hmm. the terrorist is carrying him on his shoulders. And the kid is crying, he wants to go down, but he's not turning him, he's carrying him and finished. But the cries doesn't make a difference. And they're walking. That's already in the afternoon. They're walking towards Gaza. You understand? The, the kibbutzim are so close to Gaza. It's a walking distance. They're walking to Gaza. And they come to the they come to the border. You know, there's the the fence that they were so glorified with all the electricity and all the this, so it's breached in 20 places. They cross the border and they continue to Gaza. They're going and going again. They see already the first houses in Gaza. Suddenly, the terrorist puts down the baby, the child, the four-year-old boy, and he continues to walk. She looks around, she's realized basically she's free. She decides she's turn around. She has nothing to lose. She turned around. Now she's carrying the baby, continue to carry the baby. And the four-year-old has to walk, but he's in pain. And he's okay. a four-year-old. But she she says he was he, he understood the situation. Please understand the situation more than more than more than people believe. He understood the situation and and uh, and he walked, he tried to walk. 
for a part she slept them on your on your she carried them on your on your back she's holding the baby in one side tied up to her and and they're walking and walking before sunset they made it they crossed the border back to Israel for sunset they made it to the kibbutz and they called the father. The father, I think, as I understand, the wife was this mother of the two children, lived alone with her two children. The father was somewhere else. She called the father. The father came. He picked up the kids. They took him to the hospital. They took care of the child, the four-year-old child. They fixed him. They took care of his leg. This is a story that ended well. That's mm-hmm. a miracle, a huge miracle, that they let her come back. Later, they say that they released they argue that they really, the the reporting reporters argue that the Hamas released a video. They wanted to show to the world that they're good people. That they released a released, released a mother with two children and walk back. They said maybe this is the video. I'm not so sure. This this is the video it doesn't make a difference. The bottom line is, out of all the other hostages who were killed and, and abducted, she was so she she was released and she survived with the two children. Mm-hmm. That's one story that at least there is some light in the story. The other story is about a soldier who was, he, he serves in the army, is not, uh, is not uh, mobilized because he's not serving for the first three years. He's just working in the army. Yep. He's, he's on a salary. And he heard that there is, something is going on in the borders. He was in Kiel Gat, he's also in the south, but not border, border, not Gaza. It was Saturday morning. He gets. A, he was in regular clothing. He has his private uh, pistol. He gets into his private car and he's driving to his base. Mm-hmm. He's driving. Then he is, while he's driving, he gets the news that in one of the kibbutzim they're attacking them. He drops straight to the kibbutz. He goes out and starts shooting the terrorists. He killed five of them. But then somehow he basically got he got shot in his leg. And he's bleeding. Mm-hmm. He, he pulled himself to a side of the road and he's laying there for two hours until help came, showed up. The soldier showed up. They see a guy laying on the edge of the of the of the of the street of the of the road. They were sure he's another terrorist, an injured terrorist. They wanted to kill him. They get a little closer and he's trying to scheme to them. I'm a Jew, I'm a Jew, but he says he was so weak, he bleeded so badly that he his voice didn't work. Mm-hmm. They get closer and a little closer. They discover somebody's kids. It's very citizens, don't kill them. That saved them. We're about to shoot them. Yep. A second before they shoot them, the city saved them. Because they saw a Jewish thing on them. Right. It looked like a little I don't know who it is. And, and you know it's a war time. Everybody, it's a matter of seconds. Everything right, before right. he's shooting you. This story became famous in the army, and there is a huge demand for tzitzis in the army now. Huge demand, like thousands of people. Everybody wants to have a tzitzis because tzitzis is known to be protecting a Jew from from danger. Hmm. Well, the interesting part about it, and now there is volunteers. We get from the army, the army undershorts, like shorts, shorts basically. And you can make from a short, you can make cities if you, if you, there is cities where like a undershort, mm-hmm. 
And, but in the bottom, it says to have four corners, that you cut enough that it's four corners. You cut like a half of the undershot in the bottom, in the two sides, yep. from the bottom up, and you attach to a cities and it becomes a, and it's a kosher cities. And, uh, and uh, then there is many volunteers, I saw a video of many volunteers sitting, having, having boxes and boxes of, of, of uh, uniform shorts, and they are cutting them off in the bottom, and then and then in the and then they they they, uh, they attach it, and you have to make titties. It's a whole job to make titties. So you, you have to know how to do it. I used to know. I used to know when I was younger. I forgot already. I never do it. You buy ready one. Yeah. And there is a huge demand for titties, like unbelievable. And in one case, somebody came in into a synagogue, asked for titties, told them we don't have anymore. That the guy in the in, in the army. There was one of the officers took off his titties and gave the soldier said, "You need it. You're going. You're going on a mission. You need it more than me." He took off the titties and he gave it to him. Now there is many people who are like they don't know what to do. They have a dilemma. People ask me. They know there is such a terrible situation. People feel guilty to continue with regular life. Mm-hmm. One woman asked me. No, she's she 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 she's she's playing Maj every Thursday. You know what Maj is? Mahjong. Mahjong. Yeah. Yeah. She's playing this this game. She says, "Should she go to play?" She feels guilty to go to play. How could you go to play when people there's so much pain and so much sorrow going on? Right. Another guy I'm making a wedding this Sunday. Somebody asked me, maybe she should push off the wedding. That's different. I said, yeah, I know, sure it's different. <laughs> but I told them, I told them, God forbid, I said, you, you never push for a wedding because also his family couldn't come from Israel. Thank God, Hashem helped his father is coming. He's already in America. He's in LA. He'll fly Sunday to, to, to Cleveland. Everything will be good. Then I told them, then people told me, no, 1,300, you know, there is 1,300 people murdered. There is thousands of injured people. There is a, a hundred hostages. Right? How can you eat and drink with them? Yeah. No, what I told her like this. This war is not, this dilemma is not a new dilemma. Jewish people had so much sorrows and so much problems. This is nothing new. So many tragedies. Then this question came up. Well, there's a, a Talmudic story after the second temple was destroyed. There were Jews who didn't eat meat and didn't drink wine. Ever. They were warning. Mm-hmm. One day, Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Yeshua Bechanani was a very, very smart man and a very great rabbi and loved Jews. And he was like, he was a good, he was an upbeat up person. Mm-hmm. He came to this group and he tells them, tell me, why you don't eat meat? Told them, how could we eat meat? I remember the meat was offered on the altar. Every morning and every evening was a was a sacrifice of meat. Now it's no altar. How can we eat meat? The meat has to be altered and offered on the altar. Then we can have the permission to eat. So okay, don't. Why you don't drink wine? I told them why. Every day there was there was a special hole in the altar. Used to pour the wine. When you used to bring the meat, used to be to bring a certain amount of wine together with the meat as an offering to God. 
And now we don't have an altar, we don't have the wine. How could we? How could we? I can't drink wine. It reminds me about the destruction. It breaks my heart. He says, okay, don't eat. Don't drink wine. Fine. Then he tells him, if this is the case, he shouldn't eat bread because, you know, you remember the showbread? It was on the, on the table in the temple. It was showbread 12, showbreads every day. It was from week to week. Every Shabbat, he has to replace it and bring new ones. You shouldn't bread. How about water? You know, every holiday, every Sukkot used to pour water on the altar once a year for seven days. So bring it is to go to our little stream, you know, not far from Jerusalem, draw water and bring it in with a whole parade. It was a whole big thing to do. Is to pour a little water in, in top of the altar. It was a special pipe that goes down to the ground. Hmm? You don't have this. How could you drink water? And he said, you know, how are you going to eat dates and, and, and grapes? They used to bring it in the time of the temple, used to bring it, the, it's called Bikurim, the first fruit used to bring to the temple. And then people ate it. How could you eat it? That they were silent, they had nothing to say. He basically told them, are you crazy? And then he told them like this, listen, my children, that's how he told them. Morning too much, we can't. Not morning at all, we can't eat them. Then what is she supposed to do? The rabbis told us, you build a new house, you leave a part of the house in front of the house, you leave some, some bricks unpainted. You know that? Many Jews have in the front, and you open the door, they're right in front of the, in, in front of you walking, there is a part of the wall with the bricks are not painted, bricks or whatever. You see the, the original wall. Purposely to remember the destruction of the world. When you when you when you make a meal in the in the time in the early times people used to live one spot not set one setting not set to remember the destruction of the temple said so you remember the destruction or then you move on Rabbi Shua told us that a person in Judaism is to continue to to live because if you stop living it's that's exactly what the terrorists want us to do we need to remember the destruction. We need to remember. We need to remember the 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 hostages and the and the and the and the, and the injured, but we need to move on. And I told her, listen, I have an idea for you. Go play Majin. Bring a copy of one chapter from the Book of Psalms. Make a prayer. Then have a little charity box. Everybody will put a few coins. Play Majin. When you finish the game. So read the prayer again and give a lot of prayers of charity for the people of this. That you remember and you pray and you move on with life. Because not moving on with life, it doesn't make sense. I told her, just like by weddings, what we do? We, don't, we didn't start to get married and after the destruction. We're getting married and we break a cup, right? Yep. The same thing is here. You break the cup to remember the destruction, but you get married. And then we, we will pray and we will give charity. As they say in Yom Kippur, when we repent, when we pray, we give charity, God is taking away from us, is changing the decree, and he brings good to the Jewish people. Speedily nowadays. 